independent dairyman. I think independent. I don't care if six people tell me what they ought to do. If I want to do something different, I'm going to try it. And a lot of them have worked. I get up and eat something and go to the barn and do chores and then whatever happens. And it keeps you anxious for the next hour. That's Forrest Foster. He's a farmer in Hardwick, Vermont. An organic dairy farm, 70 cows total and about 40 milking at any given time. The Fosters are one of those old families around here. There's the Fosters and the Brochus and the Molers. Recently I made a show called Finn and the Bell, and Finn, as a teenager, pretty new to the area, he always wished he could be part of one of those old families. And I'm pretty sure Finn would have loved Forrest Foster. I spent an afternoon following Forrest around, around the barn, his sugar shack, We took a long ride on his tractor, out past his deer camp. He took me to a place where he cuts cedar and hemlock boughs for deer in the winter and dispatches his old animals to feed the bear and the deer and the coyotes and the ravens. Forrest would rather trade services than exchange money. He'll give you meat if you can't afford it, and he'll expect you to do some chores in exchange. I guess what I love about Forrest Foster is that he's always practical and he's always generous, And these things are always the same thing. I asked him what it was like to be from an old family that everyone knows. A long time, they kind of laughed about we were backwards because we were doing things the way our former generations had done it. And then as things started to fall apart, the credit line, when you can't get credit, the big outfits can't operate. So we can keep making stuff or building stuff or you come along and you need your steer butchered because it ate too much grain and blew its stomach up. We can do all that stuff and save a meat and tell you how to put it. So you know how to do everything and if you don't, I tell a lot of people, I lay down at night wondering what the hell am I going to do to fix this. And you lay there and you think about all angles and what would you do and what would I do and and you try it and if it works you're happy and hell. And if it don't, you try some different angle of it. So it's growing up in it. But I was 18, drafted, went to Manchester, New Hampshire and got class 1A, top physically fit. I was going to Vietnam and all the way home on the bus, you know, I'd never been out of town. But guys like Percy Rowell was a select board member in Walden. His wife was a town clerk and treasurer in Walden. Louis Shattuck owned the Hadwick Gazette and Shattuck's real estate. Fernando Roy was a Blue Seal feed dealer that delivered bag grain. Roy Watson, the old man Hatch, they all signed a certificate that I should not go to war to stay home and farm because all of them that, that signed it, I was always home. I, I like to be home. I like to be with the animals and I like being in the dirt and the woods. And I've been to the woods this morning, got two trees and got them limbed in out here. And, but I could help them with anything they needed to do. So they signed this because the town needed you or your farm needed you? The town. I had been to all these farms and I didn't tell them what they owed me. I held my hand out and they give me something or they, Wilford Cochran, I wheeled his manure all winter. And in the spring, he'd give me a nice big ashy half a cat. It helped a farm, you know. So it's something he could do. It didn't shorten his dairy and it made us good neighbors. 
they need somebody to milk because somebody got sick or they hurt their hand in the mowing machine or all little things that happen. I said, when I get my cows milked, I'll be over. Or pick me up at 8 o'clock. I'll be done my chores and I'll come finish yours or do whatever you need. So I learned all those things from all in farms. <laughs> You haven't had a cow with mastitis in how long? Six, seven years. How is that possible? Because I milk every one of them every time. I know if there's a warm quarter or the cow is a little off on milk, too much grain, concentrate, makes the cow's temperature, a lot of them will be two degrees too high. Hot quarters from overgraining cattle. Corn is very sensitive. I give two pounds a day. The neighbor's bitching because he can't pay for his grain bill. He's feeding eight pounds of grain a day, and he's got cows going out of there almost every week of the year. You're, not, you're feeding them less grain and more hay? Yep, round bale silage. It's, it's long-stem silage, and it's made with that big ground, them big green balers out in the yeah, field, yeah, yeah. and round bale. And I'll show you just exactly what it does. And we'll come back in there and look at that. Yeah. See, that's Ruby. This is who, 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 That's Pam? Yep. There. She's a uh, half ash here, a little bit nervy. She's not ever freshened. She's a bred heifer that hasn't never milked before. And she's milked two years. And this is Ella. See, she was born March 25th of 17. She's naturally polled. What does that this mean? One, they never grow horns. You see, I have to dehorn them yeah. that have horns because after they get a little bigger, they can hurt you. Go out to New York, bent down to pick something out of the crib, and the Ashia cow stuck a horn right here, and it come right out the front of his ear and tore his jaw right off. He is still farming. The guy is something else. But do you have feelings for these cows? Oh yeah, yeah. You, you know what the hardest thing is? When the cow stays here and works for me, 12, 13, 14 years. I don't ship them out in the truck and let them go get pounded around by big cows and stuff. And then I take them out and shoot them and cut their throat and put them in Hamburg. And that's a tough day when you your old friend. But rather, it's the most humane thing I can do is not ship her off somewhere and wonder if you need. How do you decide it's time to? It, it's not usually my decision if they're. They've heard a tit, so they're three-titted. If they heard another one, so they're two-titted, you can't afford to milk two tits. You can't balance a machine on with two tits. You have to just say it's your day. So when you do, when you take a cow out on its day, it's its, yeah. its last day, no, what do you do? I, I take a, she's got a halter on. Mm -hmm. I take a halter in one hand, the rifle is right up there. I keep it where I can grab it. And I hold it in one hand and that little dent right there. Yeah, and it's is, right between her eyes. Yeah, right between the eyes. And you got to be patient till the cow is standing still. You can't be shooting at them. Somebody tells you, oh, they shot it three times or they shot it five. That's just like sending them away. You don't know. Um, nope, I'm, I'm 73 and I started when I was 13, so I've butchered quite a few. Anyway, you go out and when you pull the trigger, you just lay the gun down. They, they hit the deck. And then... You skin them, cut the legs off at the knees and the gambles, and split their belly and take it all off. Split the chest and take the guts out. And then the first cavity you get to hire out. 
it's in a little encasement you just tear that open then then the liver is in the side it's quite like 20 pounds is a good cow liver and turn the head over and split it right from the bottom of the jaw right there yeah that's our tongue right down through the middle and you take a tongue in and then you can either do two joints or three joints for oxtails for oxtail soup and it's pretty good thing people like it and ask for it what are you afraid of my biggest fear I don't want to get crippled and not be dead and I've told Karen over and over if you see that I'm not going to be up and moving just shoot me do you think about dying yeah, I, I feel like I think about it all the time. Do you well, think about it? I do, and and I've actually, I'm great friends with that bear. 11 or 12 years ago, it was Valentine's Day, February 14th. I was going to the woods with a skidder that I had rented to cut some big old rotten trees, and here comes a bear up the skidder track, which they're not supposed to be out until late March or mid-April. So I came home and called Cedric Alexander in Crassbury as a big game biologist. And I said, well, she's, there's 18 inches of snow, and she's working to get through it. He said, she'll starve to death if she don't find something to fill up on. And if she has cubs in the den, they'll starve to death or freeze to death if she don't find a way back to them, and it should be within the day. So what'd you do? I came home. I had 19 horses at that time. I had a 30-year-old workhorse. I put a halter rope on and I went right down the skidder trail, went right by the bear, right by a big, big old spruce tree, turned around with that little gun and, and got her right in the head. And I took my, I carried Jack. Wait a minute, you, you shot the bear? No, the horse. No, no, I shot the horse. The horse is 30 years old. I can't use it anymore. Her feet are messed up. The best thing in the world is to get rid of her and save that bear. In my book. So... I, I worried all night long, and after I shot her, I cut her open to make fresh blood, and the bear could smell it, and it brought it right back to her. Made an opening for the the bear at the heart cavity and the lungs is all the soft tissue is the first thing she went for. So the male was split open there to access that, and didn't see any sign of her for pretty near April and maybe towards the uh, 10th of May, and we were starting to put up fence posts for the cow's pasture, and there's a bear standing down on the hill by a brush pile. And I said, well, she made the wonder anyway. And in just a minute, there comes a little black bear about as big as a woodchuck, only it's got longer legs, and it runs right over to her. They talk all the time, they're growling, but them Babies understand that. So she kept it doing, and I called the game warden and told him what I'd done. He said, boy, that was big-hearted of you. And I said, the horse wasn't no good to me. It wasn't enjoying life. I wasn't breeding her for colts anymore. So the best thing to do, he says, yeah, that was a hell of a deal. And she's been with me 11 years, and she has babies every other year, and she has a good supply, and it's a good place to live good place for her to be. I mean, that's a good connection to me, is to take my waste 
and feed an animal that's growing a new generation of babies and everything worked good. I got so far and I use it and this is them with pork chops and Hamburg and more pork chops and shanks and we, we save everything that is breakfast sausage and people come in and, and get stuff. Where do people leave their money? In the thing or they come by and I may not see them for a month but I don't believe anybody has ever took a pound of meat that they didn't come back and pay for or come and work. Which Elder, side do you want me to go up you, in? You have to get in. Okay. You want me in, then you get in. <laughs> we'll make a little pad. Perfect. This is, oh, it's warm. Does this just pull let me, shut? Let me pull it. Okay. Watch your got it. Your ass. Ooh, ooh, uh, sorry, my bags are. That's okay. Okay, so we're we're riding the tractor out. How much of this land is yours? It's a big, beautiful field. 135 acres. And what are we looking at in the distance there? Cabot. That, oh, okay. That big field is Cabot. And I grew up on the other side on 325 acres of the, our old home farm. So you've lived your whole life within five miles? Six miles. Yep. Where what I'm noticing to, uh, on both sides, there are... There are tractors that look like they might have made their last run. No, all he needs is a little more tinkering, but <laughs> I have 12 tractors. So they're, they're, in the, they're, in, they're in the field in the snow. Yep. Um, and they I, look kind of old. They're 44 old. and 46 and 48. You see that big granite stone right here on this side of that piece of tin? Yes. It was down in the woods and I brought it up with a skidder. And my own cemetery is going to be here 25 feet wide, and so we're going to be buried right there. And I'm going to start lettering that next summer with a little hand toward Dremel. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna put your own name on it. Yep, I'm gonna put Karen first, then me next, and then leave it so they can be like 10 people. Right straight across the road, that big house right there was Archie and Gertrude Strong's, and. She was the overseer of the poor. We didn't have food shelves and all this stuff. And if you went to Gertie Strong and asked for a 10 pound pail of lard or a 10 pound, five pound pail of peanut butter or something, you went and earned that pail of peanut butter next summer. Because it might come out next year, you need another pail. You need a pair of rubber boots. That's fine, she'd go get you some boots. But you worked and earned them. And sometimes five or six people would be there or a family with four or five kids and two or three other people. And they'd be there because they were just falling on rough times? They have, yep, water would freeze, they run out of wood, they just plain couldn't make it anymore. So if you stayed in the poor, in the poor house for, you know, from February to... April. April, what do, you have to, what do you have to do for that time? Whatever, whatever they think you're capable of. If you, if you had a place to go back to, Folsom's used to go there pretty much every winter. But when they went home, they planted extra cabbages and turnips and potatoes and they took bags of them back when they dug them they took a portion back so they were actually eating some of their own food but they had a warm place to sleep and they were safe that's you don't want to go find somebody froze to death 
in the winter. So, no, these these a lot to the young people today. They don't care if you're walking in the roadside or froze up in a ditch or what the hell is going on. They're all right. They're driving a fancy car or a big pickup or something there. And the people just don't care about each other. I mean, it's uh, more and more noticeable. This is going to shake. So. Wow. Okay. So this is a... Keep your head this way a little. I won't kiss you, but I don't want to wrap your head off in that beam. you got to have tractor confidence to get through there. You ever get stuck in this thing? Never. I shouldn't say that. I should knock on wood. <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> <laughs> well, this, I take, I take uh, calf dies, somebody has in there. So no. this is where you bring them? Yeah, I want to show you something over here. Oh! That's a cow. I want to show So I didn't know what happened. She went downhill and downhill, and when she got too poor, I shot her. Well, this morning, I was down this morning. I go and look at things and see where my trails are and where everybody's feeding and how much feed there is. Look at that rib. Wow, yeah. But the coyote will take that back near the den, and in the spring, it'll be rotten enough for the babies to learn to chew on bones. This cow got hit in the head by another cow, and it broke her jaw. She kept getting thinner and thinner and thinner. She couldn't chew enough to eat and keep herself in good shape. Right. So I just shot her and brought her down and let the animals have her. One what? man's trash is another man's treasure. Them animals need that to survive on, and it's my trash. It's waste product from dairying. What do you think you know about a place when you've known it that long? Oh, everybody around here knows that I got the best soil, but it, they don't know that you got to feed it. You got to put that manure and sawdust and a little bit of lime and keep the animals moving on in and, and just take care of it and feed it and it gives me back a good crop. And you got to have enough. That's something people, they, go, they take a new modern manure spreader or one on a truck and they go over the land they put on a drop of manure, but it ain't enough to replace what they're taking away from the hay. And some of them cut three crops of hay. When I take a crop of hay off, I get on them manure spreaders and, and put another coat right back on. When you get up and work, you eat breakfast. Or you work another four or five hours and you eat dinner. That's what you need to do to the land, is keep nourishing it as you use it. And people didn't used to even spread their manure. You could get all the free manure you want. Now there, three people are looking for my manure pile. I, said, oh, I got to have quite a lot of it, and if there's some left, I'll let you know. <laughs> what about what about money? How much do you think about money? Money is way overrated. You got to have some. That's I like the barter system. If people would trust each other and be fair with each other, it's the greatest thing in the world. And nobody controls you. You can make any deal you want between you and I. We both keep our end. It's fine. And the government don't get any of it. You just help somebody out and they come back and help you when you need help. And, and where's that happening now? That's here in your barn, yeah? Yeah, yeah. If I'm out of field getting hay and somebody needs thing, they come and drive a tractor for me and or like doing firewood. And they help do firewood and they get their firewood truck to them. 
it's a, an old-fashioned system, and it works today just as well as any the people that need it. You never wanted to have a farm that you weren't running yourself. Right. It means you know everything that's going on. If you set something down, you know where you left it. You know your animals. You know how you're feeding them for milk production. You know how much milk she's giving you. Tending to my own fields and my own dirt and putting my manure where I know the ground needs it. If you get too hot and, and are tired, you can just pull over to the edge of the field and lay down and have a nap and the boss won't catch you sleeping. <laughs> I love the whole program of being an independent dairyman. That was Forrest Foster. If you're in Hardwick, go find him, visit him, buy some meat and maple syrup from him. I want to thank Rose for introducing me to Stephen, who introduced me to Forrest, and I want to thank Karen for her patience with my drop-by visits. If you want to make a comment, I would love to hear from you. Just go to rumblestripvermont.com and find the show page for this show and go to the bottom and you'll see a comment box. If you want to make a donation to the show, that would also be very nice. There's a green donate button in the top right corner of the uh, website. Rumblestrip is a proud member of Hub and Spoke, a collective of independent podcasters from all over the country. To learn more about our shows, visit the website at hubspokeaudio.org. This is Erica. I'll be back soon with another show. Thanks a lot for listening. People will ask you about going here or going there. If I want to see something, I watch a National Geographic on television and come back and do my chores. (laughs) 